reading the scriptures as it comes to us from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew 16, reading verses 13 through 28. Matthew chapter 16, beginning to read at verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ." From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he returned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of the Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Thus far the reading of The Word of God. Our text passage is from this reading, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me.
congregation, I, I just read in the bulletin that you are soliciting nominations or suggestions for office bearers. And uh, whether you're an office bearer or you're a husband or you're in any position of leadership and influence, one thing that is very important is the gift of self-denial. Now, the Lord Jesus, in the context of the passage that we just read, seems to be dealing with the church. And one of the first things he does is he asks this question of who people think he is. And he solicits out of his disciples this confession through the mouth of Peter, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus identifies not Peter as a person, but his confession as the cornerstone, the rock on which he's going to build his church. And in doing so, he makes clear the confessional foundation of the church and, and the, the, also the chief builder of the church, Christ Jesus himself. Who is it? Whose church it is? It's his. He paid it. For it, with his own blood, he gathers the church from the nations. He preserves. It's his church, the church of Jesus Christ, not our church. And then he also establishes the authority of the church. He is the one who gives the authority to the church. So it's really all about Jesus confessing him, building on him, and his authority being applied. And then Jesus starts announcing that he's going to the cross. And you might think, is he off topic now? Not really. When it comes to the church, the most important aspect of this is this purchase price for the church. And he is going to lay down his life for the church. But while he does that, ex expressing that he's going on to the cross, he's going to lay down his life for his sheep, he is also implicitly teaching the most important aspect and qualification for the office for being a father, for being a husband, for being an influential friend, <clears throat> really for all of life, the kind of love that denies ourself for the glory of God and the good of others. And so as we look at our text, then we read this word self-denial, and there's one thing about self-denial that, that really is countercultural in our time. I guess it always was, because selfishness isn't a new thing. It started off when Satan promised that Eve could be as gods. That's really the enemy of self-denial is this desire to be our own God. 
But uh, we notice in our culture, if you're sensitive to it, that, that there is, though, an increasing preoccupation with self, sort of symbolized in the all-present selfie, and then a selfie stick, and selfie photo ops, and it's sort of representative of a very strong trend that is bolstered by the psychology of the time. It's all about me, my choice. I love myself. And, and so we have also therapy sessions in which people are, are trained in the, the exercise of self-acceptance, and then there's self-assertion, there's self-affirmation, there's self-confidence, there's self-esteem, and even self-forgiveness. And what's happening is that the church itself is taking up this, this psychological preoccupation with self and, and writing books and, and preaching messages just in order to bolster your self-image. And really, this is totally contrary to what Jesus says. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to be Christian, start here. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Let's look at Jesus' call to self-denial here. The sin of selfishness, first of all, and then the importance of self-denial and of Thirdly, briefly, the motive for self-denial. I indicated somewhat a definition. How do you define self-denial? Self-denial is the crucifixion or the setting aside of my personal ego and everything associated with that for the sake of the glory of God and the good of others. But selfishness is very prevalent. The tendency to be self-seeking and selfish and self-referential and all of these other self-words that psychology might be using, it is sin. After all, it comes in different forms. For instance, self-will. This opposition of my will to the will of anyone else around me, even the will of God. Sin is defined as transgression against the law and will of God. So it's setting my will against the will of God. Whether it is the will revealed in the commandments, the will revealed in the gospel calls uh, that uh, we find throughout Scripture, or the will of God revealed as hidden will in the providence uh, of my life. His providence expresses His will. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, we read, All we like sheep. This is the confession of the church in Isaiah 53. And the church says, every one of us, like sheep, we've gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. I'll do it myself. I'll do it my way. 
and then die proud and singing, I did it my way. Self-will. There's self-righteousness. And that is this tendency to think that I have a more righteous status than others. It's sometimes expressed as holier than thou. This is something that Jesus refers to in Luke 18 when he is telling that parable of the publican and the, and the uh, Pharisee. And he says, this he told to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And so he, Jesus gives this illustration of the one who's boasting and praying in a sense really to himself, uh, but uh, he's pretending to pray to God and he's telling God that he's just so thankful that he's so much better than other people. And this publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Are you righteous in yourself? Or are you depending for your righteousness completely outside of yourself? We have a tendency to want to at least add some of my righteousness, self-righteousness. There's self-love, self-love, this affection with myself. Paul says, no man ever yet hated his own flesh. This self-love, me first, you, you get a bunch of children in a line, or, or they come flocking into the kitchen because you're handing out cookies or, or whatever. I get the big one. Me first. And some people might say, it comes out early. And the other person might correct them and say, it's in there early. It's in them early, and it comes out early. It's already there. Selfishness is born in us. Today, love for self is promoted even by some religious counselors because they say, well, the Lord Jesus said, as we read, that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. So they argue it must be okay to love ourself. No, that's not the intention of the Lord Jesus. Actually, his direction of argument is the opposite of that. He is, he is saying, look, you've already got that down, Pat. Self-love, that's what you're, you're already pretty good at. You got that. But now, work on this. Loving your neighbor up to that level that you love yourself. That takes grace. Today, there's so much self-centeredness that shows this self-love. And it, it is the mark of the end times. And that sounds rather cliche, doesn't it? But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, uh, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy says, This know also that in the last day perilous times shall come. For men will be lovers of their own selves, and it's almost like sort of a, a colon, and if you want to know how that self-love comes out, it's covetousness, pride, boasting, disobedient, 
unthankful, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So you have those bookends of this statement, and uh, the ne- negative is they love themselves, and the problem is they love themselves more than they love God. Self is put over against God. It is actually self-idolatry in opposition to the one true God. So that pretty well covers the whole of the first table of the law, really all of the law. It's a blatant self-idolatry, this sin. Self is truly the idol that is worshipped in Western culture. Self, my choice. And Satan promised in the very beginning, ye shall become as gods, knowing good and evil. I'm my own God. I make my own choice. I will decide for myself what is good and what is evil. I won't have God decide anything in my life. I will decide it all for myself. Well, as we're listening to this, do we discover any of this in our own heart? Do we not have to confess that selfishness is in every one of us? Well, why is then self-denial so important over against that? Let's look at that secondly. The text makes it very clear. It declares actually the essential, the right up front requirement for a disciple. If you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, if you want to be my disciple in that sense, deny yourself. Who's declaring this? It's Jesus himself. And Jesus does not call for something in his disciples which he is not willing to do himself. In fact, in the context, he has just announced that he is setting his face as a flint toward the cross. And there, the supreme example of self-denial is being carried out. Now, it's not only example. It is the fulfillment of Scripture, the satisfaction of the holy righteousness of God against sin. He is laying down his life as a sacrifice for sin, as the price of redemption, so that we might be broken free from the bondage to our own idolatrous ego. Self-denial is central to the redeeming gospel message, because it is shown to be central to the very ministry of Jesus Christ. It was self-denial that motivated him uh, to, to come out of heaven, or it was an exercise of self-denial. He, he left behind the glory of heaven, and he came into our human nature. In Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul describes this in the context of wanting to urge others to esteem others better than themselves. In Philippians 2, he, he says, let this mind be in you that's in Christ. And he goes on on to explain that Jesus left the glory. He didn't grasp that glory that he had with the Father as one equal with God. He, he 
was willing to set aside that glorious privilege he had, made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of sinful man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that's why God highly exalted him. And so the apostle shows here, this is central to the gospel. Jesus Christ denied himself. He paid the full price. What can be more central than that? There would be no gospel at all if it were not, if it were not for the, the exercise of self-denial on the part of Christ going to the cross. Secondly, self-denial is central in the gospel call to sinners. When we are called by the gospel, we are called to set aside the things that are precious to us in our sinful inclination, precious to us, but we are to put it aside, put aside sin, repent of your sin, put it away, repent of your self-centered life. How can we remain proud when the power of the gospel has come into our heart? When you have had an eye for the love of God in Jesus Christ, it, it, it just crushes your pride and your ego is crucified. He was despised and rejected of men. When you get a sense of, of not only the sinfulness of your selfishness, but the love of, the God, of Christ portrayed in the gospel, then your heart is called to this exercise of self-denial. Nevertheless, not my will, Jesus prayed in the garden. Yes, he had a human desire to live, but he even set aside his human desire to live. Nevertheless, not my will. He was willing to be crucified. And something of the pattern of that self-crucifixion is in conversion. The mortification of the old man, the putting to death of the old man is part of this conversion process. And we are called to that in the call to the gospel we must come to an end of ourselves. The book that I would recommend in connection with self-denial is by Walter Chantry, a very small book, but Pact, The Shadow of the Cross, Studies in Self-Denial, The Shadow of the Cross. He writes, true Calvinism always leads to the appreciation of self-denial, when the doctrines of grace are warmly preached and experientially preached, denial of self is necessarily one of the chief experiences of the soul. Each one of the doctrines of grace infinitely exalts the Most High God 
and humbles the sinner and the human self as a mere worm. Isn't it true? When you discover the truths of sovereign grace, you see how great God is and how we are dependent upon Him. This concept of of total depravity as it becomes real to you in your, your mind and in your heart is extremely humbling. Unconditional election chosen by the grace of God because of nothing in myself. Limited atonement. He paid it all. I can't add to it. Irresistible grace. He does it all. Yes, he works even in me to will and do of his pleasure. He does it all. Perseverance of saints. He preserves me, and so I persevere. It's only because of him that I could come to the end of my life still believing in Jesus Christ. Nothing of self. Everything is of God when it comes to salvation. Uh, Thirdly, Self-denial is central to the doctrine of justification. How are you going to stand righteous before God? Well, if you discovered what sin is and how all-pervasive in our heart and life sin is, you realize that I cannot bring anything to Him. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. My righteousness is based on nothing but His perfect atonement for sin to take away my guilt and His perfect obedience throughout all of His life in order to establish a righteousness that can be imputed to my account, charged to my account before God. That's justification, by faith alone, not of works. It is a gift of God. How does a sinner become righteous before God, Luther asked in his struggles. Well, he discovered it was only by faith and not of works. Have we discovered that too? Self-denial is central in the record of the uh, accomplishment of redemption through the cross of Christ. It's central in the call to conversion. It is central in justification, and it is central also in sanctification. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What is the cross? The cross we could identify here as it applies to Jesus and the disciple is the cost of obedience. The price you pay in terms of pain or putting aside possession or denying yourself pleasures. Jesus is the perfect example of that. He accomplished it all. He obeyed his Father. My meat, he said, my food is to do the will of my heavenly Father. 
He came into this world and he was willing to obey his Father even to the death of the cross, Paul writes. What an extreme cost. Jesus paid it. And self-denial is not only something that happens once in our Christian life. So when I, when I become converted, then I, I exercise by grace repentance of sin and I put aside any hope of righteousness in myself and I'm justified by faith alone. And then from there on, I can just live the way I want? No. Self-denial is called for in the walk of a disciple. That's why Jesus says, if you want to come following me, then deny yourself, take up your cross, and we can turn to the, to the Gospel of Luke and look at the parallel passage there. Because the Apostle, uh, or rather the Gospel of Luke, also gives us a, an other word that Jesus used. He said to them all, this is Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. It's part of the life of sanctification, taking up the cross. Cheerfully bear the consequence and cost and pain and putting aside of your pleasure, whatever it costs, to obey the Lord in your life. Self-denial is not a once-only thing. It's a lifelong requirement. Deny yourself and be willing to pay the price. Now, what does this look like in the life of a Christian? Well, it means, on the one hand, quite obviously, deny all the pleasures you get and all the possessions you might acquire in the way of known sin. Deny yourself by crucifying, by putting aside, by repenting and stopping every known sin, no matter what it costs you. Self-denial also involves that you put aside the legitimate not sinful in themselves, the legitimate possessions, pleasures, and even position and popularity that you might get. Deny yourself those things that are for you temptations to sin. Yes, we can have legitimate things in our life. We say, well, in themselves, uh, we can argue. They are not sinful in themselves, but when I do this or when I have this or when I follow this desire, then it leads me inevitably into sin because of a weakness I have. Uh, Take, for instance, alcohol or taking a certain pain pill. There can be legitimate things in themselves that for you, because of addictive propensity, because of a, of a, a thing in your mind and a bondage maybe to pornography or so, that you say, well, I, I can't go to that website or, or I can't have this device or I, I, I 
will not turn that channel on the television on because it leads me astray. Denying yourself legitimate things that would lead you into sin. Thirdly, it means denying ourselves the exercise of civil rights and Christian liberties that become stumbling blocks for others or even to myself. Denying myself the exercise of civil rights and Christian liberties in themselves. And if you want further study on that, I give for your homework Romans chapter 14 and part of 15, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to see how the Apostle Paul exercised what he preaches. Fourthly, what it looks like is that in everything we take up the attitude of self-denial. The Apostle Paul in that section in Philippians 2 says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He had a mindset that whatever circumstance or relationship or, or struggle he went through, his mind was not me, but God, my Father, and others. It was a mindset. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me in the way I live out my life. Walk in his steps, one of the apostles said. What would Jesus do? Well, to an extent, that is a helpful thing. What would honor God? What would glorify Him? In all relationships, this comes to bear. If you want to have a friend, be a friend, children. If you want to have a friend, don't be selfish in every tug-of-war you have or in every, me, I want this toy. If you want to have a friend, be a friend. Give things to others. Let others have their way once in a while, too. You don't have to be the king just because it's my house. These are my toys. Be willing to give things to others, too. That's self-denial. And watch your mom and dad, because they'll show you what self-denial is like, right? So... Your wife says, okay, um, this year, I would love to go to the women's Bible study. And honey, it's on the night that you usually play hockey. And we need someone to take care of the children. What about it? Would you be willing to stay home with the children while I go to Bible study, talk about homework, take that one home. You apply it yourself. Because we know in marriage, we all have our egos. And sometimes it's a tug of war, of words, I should say. And, well, it's very practical, isn't it? Wives are called to submit themselves to their husbands. 
That takes self-denial. But if you think that takes self-denial, husbands are called to love their wives even as Christ loved the church and laid down your, his life, rather, for his church, his bride. His bride, actually, in Jerusalem, if you take Jerusalem church to be the bride, his bride crucified him, and he laid down his life for her. And do you know what he did through that? On the day of Pentecost, it turned out that when that truth came home to the bride's heart, she wept and she loved him. Win the heart of your wife. You should hear what she does, and you should hear the way she talks, and lay down your life. You're not bleeding yet. Deny yourself and win her heart through your love, even as Christ laid down his life for her his bride. Well, that brings us right to the motive, doesn't it? Because you need some motivation. So what is going to be the motive then? That in the end of the day, and, and maybe sometimes we say, well, you know, okay, I'll do that. And sure, honey, that's because in the springtime, when it gets close to the end of the Bible study time, you're going to pop on her that you would like to buy that new boat. Ah, talk about motive. So maybe it wasn't so self-denying after all. You see, we can be motivated in some real subtle ways. In it ends up selfishness. But Jesus laid down his life completely. We'll never match that as to its extreme measure, as to its infinite degree. But the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 says, use his self-denial as the pattern for your life. What should be our motive? It should not be a legalistic motive saying, well, if I deny myself all of these things, that's what Martin Luther was really struggling with because he was being told that, that well, there's a, a bit of merit in Jesus, but now you can also add to that by doing this penance and, and all these other good works. No, none of that because it doesn't enter into the equation. Jesus paid it all. He for sin atoned. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He, he paid it all. No merit of mine. Take that out of the equation in your thinking when you're, you're mentally thinking it through. What should be our motive? Well, love. And behind the love, what should be our motive? The love of God in Jesus Christ. God so loved that he gave his son. 
Jesus so loved that he gave himself. The Spirit poured out his love into the church. Well, the motive is clear here, isn't it? It should be ultimately the love of God in Jesus Christ. Not that we first love him. The Apostle John says, but that he first loved us. For the love of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead, and all that he died for all, that they which live, and that's live again uh, in the sense of born again, that they which truly live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. He paid for me. All to him I owe. I'm his. Body and soul, life and death, I am not my own but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And that doesn't make me a sulk. That's my only comfort in life and death, no matter what comes. Are you his? Well, there is a reward of grace, but we call it a reward of grace because it's not a reward of merit. And we read in the end of this passage, indeed, that the Lord speaks about the day that he's coming again and he will reward every man according to his works. But it's carefully put. It's not because of your works. But in the day of judgment, what's the Lord going to be talking about? According to what Jesus says, he will be talking about the works of those who, when he was in prison and all of this, when did we not do this? Because Jesus is there as the witness of every charitable, kind act that we don't do as well as what we do. And he says, when it comes to the judgment, it will not be because of your works, because you're saved by grace alone and not of works, but it will be according to your works. So how are we doing in living out a life of self-denying thankfulness to God for so great a deliverance? And maybe this makes you aware that you haven't even begun to live for Jesus and that you need in your selfish idolatry to repent for the very first time and to look to Jesus and ask him to forgive you for your selfish life and all the sin that you've committed. Or you've been made aware of the many ways in you've slipped, you've messed up, you, it's been all about me. I have been so much into myself and... I have been love with myself, and I don't really love my wife the way I ought. Then come to him again, and come to him again. 
And if he calls you to take up your cross again and again, then, then cheerfully do that. But come to him again for grace to do that. And when, by the way, you succeed in making the deal with your wife, don't go moaning, oh, it's the cross I have to bear. Go into a self-pity party and, and the martyr complex the only cross you should be talking about is the G- Jesus cross. It's about him. It's not about you. It's all about him. And he makes sure that you can be quite comforted. You're not going to be a loser because even if you lose your life, as you read in the rest of this passage toward the end of the chapter, he says, you will gain it. You will not be debtors in another passage in Matthew 19. He says, if you lose houses and brothers and sisters and and whatever you lose, he says, you're going to gain many times over in your communion in the fellowship of the saints and in the prospect of the glory that will come. Even Jesus denied himself going to the cross looking to the glory that will come. One day, there will be glory. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Leave it to him. Deny yourself. Let it be all about him in the service of others. For Jesus' sake, amen. Great and glorious God, when we hear this call from Jesus, it's fitting that we bow and that we confess that we have been so selfish and that we so need thy grace to give us that kind of love the kind of love that Jesus exercised, and we know we'll only get it from him through his spirit. Oh, Lord, forgive us and give us what we need. We pray, oh, Lord, that thou will turn the heart of those who realize that they have been living selfish lives. That, Lord, we pray, give us more. Give us more of that love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us whenever we fail, not to despair, but to look again to Jesus, to that endless fountain of forgiveness and grace through him, because he paid it all. Help us, O Lord, from day to day to live out that love that he has put in us. And may our only regret in the day of days be as we are ready to breathe our last with this one wish, if only I had loved him more. We pray it in his precious name. Amen.